0: Good afternoon, everyone. So please take out your Bibles. If you don't have any Bible, you can go in the back. Someone will provide you with one. Um, There will be a PowerPoint, but not all the verses will be there. And it's always good to follow from your own Bible. And if you're the type of person who likes to take notes, I'll I'll go quickly through some parts, because a lot of things that I will talk about we've already seen and so be ready and take the notes if you have to. Now our scripture reading for today is in the, the first letter of John, chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. So first John, chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Oh God, please bless the reading of your word. Amen. So have you noticed the word love was in there? Every time, you know, you go to a modern church and the word love is in, is in the, the context, what happens? They disregard the context completely. They focus on the word love. And then they go all over the Bible and find all these random love passages. And they kind of make up their own idea of what love is. Uh, is, is it something we can do today? Use this text as one of those random love passages? No, uh, those don't exist. And so as we would for any other text... Uh, we have to look at the context and let John tell us what he means by love, but also why is he talking about love? It fits in a narrative. There's an argument there that he wants us to understand. And so this is something we should do all the time, and uh, our uh, elders have been doing it. But today I'm making a point. Uh, because love passages are often twisted, I'm going to make it a point to, to, to show you from the text and from the context what we should think about it. And so I'll begin by um, uh, just uh, making a, a short summary of what we've seen already pre- previously. And so from chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, we've learned of Jesus, the eternal word of God, who was with God, the Father, and who is God, the Son. Then we learned about his incarnation. He came toward fully God, fully man, to accomplish the will of the Father, and we learned that his life death resurrection his works message and promises they have been seen and heard by many witnesses among whom are the apostles and these apostles were chosen by Christ and sent by him uh, with a mission and a message and so they proclaim a message and this message brings us true fellowship and that fellowship what is it it's a mystical union with the you know with the church the son and the father and this is the message, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Now we have to understand that this is the beginning of the message. The whole book is about the message, and John speaks in a circular manner, and he uh, uses the same language and same patterns to clarify and to add to what we've already seen so that we really get the full message. And so God is light, in him no, no darkness at all. Um, I'm just going to start my timer. I forgot. I don't want to speak for an hour and 15 minutes like, uh, like Andrew. <laughs> so yes, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. The beginning of the message, we learned that God is holy, perfect. He's pure, true. And in Him, there's no sin. There's nothing wrong, no corruption at all. And from there, in it, following similar patterns... Uh, we we basically learn about a contrast that exists. And so John is is showing us a contrast in his message. On one side, he says that whoever says they are in fellowship with God, that they know Christ, but they walk in darkness, or live in unrepented sin, or do not keep his commandments, well, this shows that uh, they lie. They don't practice the truth. They make God a liar, and the word of God is not in them. In other words, they say they are of God, but they practice something that shows that they have no fellowship with the Father, with the Son, or with the church. They do not have this union. John is saying these things for us so that we may not sin. If we can have fellowship with the Father, and if this practice and this message keeps us from that, John wants wants us to, will not sin. And so on the other side of the contrast, he says this, whoever keeps the commandments of God, walks in the way Jesus walks, and who, when they sin, repent and confess their sins to God, well, then God forgives uh, them. The blood of Jesus cleanses them from all sins, because Jesus is the only propitiation for our sins, meaning that he appeases the Father's wrath uh, by taking on the full punishment where he takes it on himself uh, instead of the deserving sinner. And because of this, unlike those in darkness, we can say that these ones, they have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the church. And so this is the contrast that we have. And uh, me telling you this, remember this, this contrast comes again in the whole book, uh, again and again. And today, we're going to understand the text easily because we understand that this contrast exists. And in this message, there are two elements. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, the right belief and the right practice. Um, this is what Andrew, Josh, a bunch of the guys, they talked about these things. And so the whole book, once again, you have always these two things the right belief, the right practice. Uh, we learned last week about a, a commandment. This, command, this commandment is not new, it's old, but it's also new, right? If we want to have a clear picture of what this commandment is, you can go in 1 John 3, just a bit later, verse 23. So 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And so, belief, the right belief, and the right practice, that we believe in Christ and that we love one another. And so today, um, when we look at our text, uh, we see that we focus on orthopraxy. We don't really talk about the right belief, but we talk about the right practice. And so, this commandment that Andrew talked about is defined here as brotherly love. And to break that commandment would be brotherly hate. Before we start, it's good to understand. I know Andrew talked about the same thing, but I want us to be on the same page when we read brother here we mean the church and so today i'll speak of brotherly love the brotherhood of the faith and we have to love brothers but it's an inclusive term that that uh, really we should understand ladies and men we're both brothers right we're all circumcised from the heart we're all in the brotherhood of the faith and so brotherly love when i say this you have to understand and make the translation in your in your in your head uh, what I'm actually saying is the love of the members of the church. And so I think we can start from uh, at the beginning, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. And so already what we see is that we have a situation here where someone says he's from the light but he practices hate, therefore it shows that he's actually in darkness. And so the same a pattern that we have in previous chapters, it's there. Someone says something, but his works prove something else. And so he says he is in the light, but well, hates his brother, therefore he's still in darkness. Well, what does it mean to say that we are in the light? Well, if we go back in the context at the beginning, right, verse five from chapter one, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so to say, I am in the light, means I'm with God. I know him. I have fellowship with him. Um, You could say, uh, you know, practically, someone would say, I'm a Christian. I know God. Yeah, I I go to church. I read the Bible. I love, uh, you know, God, and and I, I really live my life for him. So someone says these things, but his hate towards the brother proves that he is still in darkness. So darkness, what is this? Well, again, the same verse, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so if I say, you are in the darkness, and there's no darkness in God, what I'm saying is, you're away from the presence of God. You don't have fellowship with God, right? And so this is a a, a metaphorical language here. The metaphor is used about light and darkness, but it means something, you know, in, in John's context, And so when we continue in verse 10 and 11, this is picked up again. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And then in verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his his eyes. So when John says something like, uh, well, he abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling, well, that's contrasted with the one who is in darkness and who uh, cannot see where he's going. And so this is a metaphor. You, you say, well, darkness, you don't see where you're going. You bump into stuff, you trip, you fall, you hurt yourself, you hurt others. Well, that's the same as not knowing God. And uh, for the guy who's in, in, in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling, is the opposite. He sees where he's going. He's not going to hurt himself. He can walk around the dangerous things. He's safe. And so the person who is in the light, who is in God, you say, yeah, there's safety there. He's not in danger. So this metaphor is used here, and we have to understand it together. And so, if he says he is from God, he's a Christian, but his hate toward the brother shows that he's not from God. Well, what is hate? Um the John will, will show us what hate is throughout, throughout the book, but I think a good place, uh, you know, uh, to, to see that. Uh, we find it in 1 John 3.15. So 1 John 3.15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so not not only do we learn in our portion of the text that hate means you're uh, far from God, that you're not His, but it makes you a murderer and it keeps you from having eternal life. That means eternal death. And so we better define hate because I don't want to do this. I don't want to hate. So where do we start? Well, we can start in the same uh, context, verses 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness. They're contrasted to each other. Uh, Love is a work of the light, and hate is a work of darkness. They're opposites. So this is very important to understand. There's no in-between in John's mind. It's either you love, either you hate. And they don't overlap with each other. It's a contrast. They're opposites. And so then we can start there. Well, then, what is love? I want to love if it makes me be with God and gives me eternal life and all of these things. Well, 1 John three sixteen. 16, that's the, uh, right after he talks about hate, he defines love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And so how is it defined for us? Well, uh, when, when he says that he laid down his life for us, that's Christ, that's Jesus. Jesus defines love for us, right? And we're asked to walk in the way he walked. That's what we've seen in the previous chapters already. And so Jesus is love, and the opposite of Jesus is hate. Uh, if we go to um, to learn more about Jesus, still in context, we don't have to go too far. If we go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, that Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. And so Jesus defines love and jesus had no sin and sin is the breaking of the law so jesus kept the law perfectly so can we say that in the law we find a guide for us to to help us understand what love is of course uh, joe did this uh, a few weeks ago right He, he talked about love and the commandments and he read the ten commandments um, and then I think Andrew mentioned this in Matthew 22 verses 34 and 40 uh, to 40. You don't have to go there, but when the Pharisees ask Jesus, uh, "Which is the greatest commandment?" He says, "Well, you love God and you love your neighbor." Why? Because on these two commandments, the whole law depends, right? And uh, Paul says the same thing in, in Romans 13 um, when he says that uh, that love fulfills the law or that the law is fulfilled in love but that's the point the law shows you what it is to love and there's more to it because if uh, we know that jesus also in matthew 5 21 27 um, tells us well the law tells you you shouldn't murder but if you're angry at your brother you're a murderer you broke the law and it tells you that you shouldn't be an adulterer but if, if you have lust in your heart here you go you, you've broken the law And so the Mosaic administration of the law is one thing for their covenant, but we have to understand that the perfect law of God is even more than this. Jesus didn't break the law. He fulfilled it completely, and he was perfect even in his mind and his heart in any way, right? Every way he was perfect completely. And so this is what we have to understand. Perfect love, uh, it's equal to the perfect law of God who God is, right, God is love, well, that's where we're going to find what love is. Now, there's something I want to uh, clarify before we move uh, further, because there's something that is misunderstood by many people, uh, and it can be a bit dangerous for us. Uh, If we go back to our text, and it says uh, in verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And we know that the law and, and love, they're very connected together. Are we saying here that by your works of love, by the works of the law, you're saved? You can now enter the light? No, you can't say this. The Bible makes it very, very clear that you can't say this. First of all, this is not the way you should read it. Um, if, if you go just a bit before, um, and so let me just find it here. It's in 1 John chapter one, uh, no, 1 John chapter two. Um, verse 3. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandment. The text doesn't read, keep the commandments of God and, and, and by this you will earn a place you know, in the light or you will come to know God if you're able to keep. No, we know that we have come to know him already if we keep his commandments. And it's the same thing that we find here. If we read, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, the love is evidence that you already are in the light. It's not the way to enter the light. It's evidence that you already are into the light. That's very important because the whole Bible is so clear about this, about the way uh, to salvation. And just quickly, Romans uh, 3.20 makes it clear. No one is justified by works of the law. And Galatians 2:16 says the same thing, no one is justified by the works of the law but only through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2:8 to 10 makes it clear, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, but for works. And even Philippians 2:12 and 13, the text Paul is saying, you know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for your salvation. Now work out your salvation because God is working in you. And so the salvation that he worked in you, you now put it out. And so the, 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 the fruit, you know, that comes from salvation, which is love, and it's described in even greater terms elsewhere in the Scripture, that's what it is. It's, it's a fruit. It's proof, that, it's proof that you're already saved and not a way to salvation. Now, Jesus says the same thing, right? In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse uh, 34 and 35, uh, when he tells his disciples uh, to love one another, this is his commandment, and by this, people will know that you are my disciples. Again, it's the proof that you are already a disciple of Christ is by the fruit of love. And John 15, I think Andrew read it, a bunch of other guys already mentioned it, because in there, you have an illustration About the vine, right? We learn in there that a branch on the ground can't produce fruits, but a branch that's connected to the vine will produce fruits. And so the vine gives the ability to, to to the to the branch to produce this fruit, and that fruit is proof that the branch is connected, right? The branch is Christ. If you're not connected to the to Christ, you're a branch on the floor, and you can't produce any of these fruits yourself. You're unable to love. Literally, you can't do it because of your sinful nature. But if you are connected to Christ, he will give you the ability to love. And that will be proof that, um, that you are of Christ. And so note it down, by the way, John 15. Go read the whole thing. You'll see how connected to 1 John it is. Because even he, Jesus even mentions love as the commandment and all of these things. Uh, it, it's, it's made very clear But it has to be made clear for us. Because so many churches, they, in one way or another, will try to put a bit of law and a a, a bit of works into people's salvation. But the Bible is against this. We trust in Christ completely. And so if, you know, there's anyone here who is not a Christian, or if you read this and you say, well, man, I'm, I'm pretty hateful. But, you know, I look at the text and it says if I hate uh, my brothers, the church, I'm, um, I'm in darkness. Uh, well, this is the gospel for you. God is light. You have to admit that if you are in darkness, you are not uh, in fellowship with God. And so repent from your works of darkness, confess these sins to God, and the blood of Christ will wash you from your sins. Right? He is the propitiation for our sins. And this is the gospel. And from there, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit who works in us and makes us able to live like Christ lived. That's the gospel. And so now that this is clear, and it really has to be clear for us, um, there is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Because the text says this, right? Uh, Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. And so... Why the brother? Why the church? If we're looking for a sign, right, to know, well, who is a Christian and who's not a Christian, obviously we can't know by looking at uh, the person. Nothing is written on our foreheads. Christians, they don't come in a different color. And so God here is giving us a sign to know these things. And it's not just general love. It's brotherly love, the love for the, for the members of the church. And so why this and not the love of just neighbors in general? And the second question we might ask is, well, does it mean that uh, we don't have to love the world anymore? I mean, the law back then, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. But see, Jesus here says, no, you don't have to love them. Yeah, you can hate them. You, just the church, that's fine. Is that what, it, what he's saying? Well, obviously, no. Um, but where do we find that in Scripture? Well, a good place to go would be Matthew 5, if you want to turn there. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. So Jesus is speaking here. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, well, it was. this is said by the world, by the way. It's not the law or anything like that. It's the world who comes and they're like, you know, they justify their hate. Oh, he doesn't deserve it. He was mean to you, so you're allowed to be mean. The world, that's what they say. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so now Jesus makes it clear here. That second question, am I allowed to just love the church and not the world? Of course not. We are called to love everyone, even your worst enemy, the guy who persecutes you. You love him, you pray for him, and you take care of him if you have to. You need to love everyone. And so how do we understand this this command to love the brothers? Well, if you have uh, this first command uh, that is general, you love everyone, Right, everyone you love them, well, inside of this command, you have a special command for the people of the church. Love one another. And so they, they both go together. You can't have one and not the other. We are, as Christians, we're called to have both. Now, if we continue with what Jesus says, because the question is still there, well, I mean, if we are called to love everyone, then isn't that a proof that I am of God, if I'm able to love everyone? Why, why does he specify The brothers, the members of the church. Well, this is very good what Jesus says. So if we continue at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now the argument here is this. Everyone's able to love the people uh, who are close to them. And when he speaks here of Gentiles and tax collectors, uh, if you were a Jew back then, man, that's, those are the worst people. So Jesus is saying the worst people you can think about, uh, they love the people that love them. They're able to find a group of people and love them. And so this is where the, the, the logic begins. The world is able to love the world, but the world is not able to love the church. Jesus makes it clear when he tells his disciples, they don't hate you, they hate me. And so when they hate you, it's because they hate me. So the world hates God. Because of this, they hate Christ. And because of this, they hate the church. And so what proof is this for us if you find someone who's able to love the world? Well, it could be one of two things. Either he's a very good Christian, he loves everyone, or he's worldly because he loves the world. That's natural. But if you have someone who loves the church, well, the world can't love the church. Only the church can love the church. So this is your proof. Someone who looks at Christians and he's like, I don't like them. I don't like this, and I don't like that. And he doesn't serve them. And he hangs out with the world and really loves the world. All he's proving is that he's from the world. He cannot hate the church. He cannot love the church but he can love the world. He's a worldly guy. Now, if we want to continue um, this argument, you can go back in First in John Chapter 4, verses 19 to 21. So, 1 John, chapter 4, 19 to 21. So we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now we have something very interesting here. If you cannot love someone you see, you can't love God who you, you cannot see. And we have to think about it in this way. The, the work that God does in our lives, in the, in the believers' lives, after we have been brought into the light, the work of the Spirit is to make us more like God and more like Christ. And so if you look at the world, the people who resemble God the most, they're the church. And so if I can't love the church who resembles God, I don't love God. That's impossible. I can't say, yeah, I love God, but these guys, I don't know. They resemble God. And in the same way, you can say, well, if you're not able to love God and not able to love the church, you definitely can't love the world for real either because we do uh, have the spirit in us that makes us able to do these things. And so why only the brothers? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Why is the proof of, of our godliness in the love of brothers? Because the world can't love the brothers. Because if you truly love God, you will love those who resemble God. Now, um, if, I were, if I were to paraphrase, we basically understand the meaning of the text now with everything we've seen. If I were to paraphrase this, whoever says he's a Christian, uh, but he doesn't uh, keep the law uh, in, 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 in his love for, for, for other Christians, he's not a Christian. That's it. That's simple. But why should we know all these things? Why is it important? Um can't we just hang out? We 're all Christians. He says he's a Christian, yeah, he's a Christian, and he yeah, we're all Christians. Can we just accept this and not try to find you know who's a Christian and who's not? Why would we know? Why is it important? Well, it's very important if we look at the, at the whole context, the whole book, um, for example, if you want to go to first John chapter two verse, verses 18 and 19 John's argument doesn't stop there for the remainder of the book he's going to warn us against false teachers. And so 1 John chapter 2 verse 18, children it is the last hour and as you have heard that antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come therefore we know that it is the last hour they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they, are all, that they all are not of us. And if we go a bit later, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world and by this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, uh, is not from God. But again, you know, you have a few places where John is going to make sure that we understand there are false teachers. There are wolves in the church. This is why we need to know who's a Christian and who's not. Because we, we can't just live a Christianity where everyone is accepted. Why? Because someone who doesn't have the right message and the right practice, they don't lead us to God, they lead us away from God. It's important for us to, be, to, to protect each other from these false teachers. And that's where it begins. If you see someone who doesn't love the church, he's a false teacher, you don't listen to him. He's been sent in the assembly from Satan as a deceiver to deceive people. And take them away from God. And so this danger, you know, as, as John says, is in the church. They were, they were, you know, in the assembly, but they were not from us. We can say that it's loving for us to protect each other so that none of us go to hell, right? And so that's where it begins. That's, where, that, that's why we need to know these things. Um. Please turn to 1 John chapter 3 verse 15. So 1 John chapter 3 verse 15 to 18. Yeah, I think that's the wrong thing. <laughs> Yeah, I just wrote the same thing I did uh, before, it's, it's not the right one uh, but so, so test me with this one and uh, write the verse that I'm about to say down and see if it's in the book and if it's not, well there's a problem <laughs> but J- John is going to say this eventually, little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and, and truth so this is the command that we have again ortho- orthodoxy Is the first one? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm confused. I'm just, I'm nervous. (laughs) Yeah, 18. Okay, very good. I just skipped over it with my eyes. Very good. So here you go. It's there. I was right. So, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We have here orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Even with love, we have these things. We have to love. Uh, in truth, we need to have the right um, understanding of what love is. In other words, if your love is not compatible with God's love, as revealed in nature, in the law, in Jesus, and in the rest of the Bible, then it's not love. And so you have to love in truth. Someone who practices love, right, but then his love doesn't fit with uh, what the Bible uh, uh, say about love, he's not loving. Uh, and that person, well, he's a, he's a false teacher, but at the same time, someone who, is, uh, who has the full truth about love, he knows his Bible, he knows it very well, but he doesn't practice it. Well, he's a false teacher as well. They both need to be there. And obviously when we say that they don't practice love, we have to understand this. Um, you know, and this was made evidence evident before. John makes it clear that everyone sins, even the Christians, Right At the beginning, he doesn't say, uh, "Oh, those, they sin, but those who don't sin, they're of God. They say, no, those who repent and confess their sins, they're of God. And so we are going to fall. And the Christian who is immature in his faith, who is very young, he won't understand the Bible as much. And, you know, that's normal. And so we, we are patient with each other. But, but when we are brought, the, the, more, the more we get to understand the Bible and the more mature we get to be, uh, the, the more loving we will be. Uh, but no matter where you are, young or mature, the Christian will be the one who is slow to sin and quick to repent. He will grieve his sin. The false teacher it's going to be the opposite. He's going to be quick to sin. He's going to try to hide it. He's not going to repent. And sometimes if he's caught, sure, he's going to do a little apology there, but he's going to sin again, again you know, tomorrow. And so when you see that in deed and in truth, Someone who says he is a Christian doesn't love the brother but hate the brother. He's not a Christian. So if your love is not compatible with God's love, it's not love. And so James says something similar uh, in in James 1.22. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. The practice is important. And so now that we understand, um, well, what love is and, and what place it has in the church, I have a few examples. I have three examples um, for you uh, in the New Testament to help you understand uh, um, how to understand love better, right? So the more you read the Bible, the more you know the Bible, the, the more you're going to understand what love is. And so if you, if you want to start, James uh, uh, chapter Two verses one to four. And so these examples, again, I, I show them to you, and we're not going to see the whole chapter you know word for word and everything, but it's more to to, to teach you in a way um, to to read the Bible and try to understand you know try to see love out of these texts, even if, it's not, uh, if it doesn't mention love necessarily. So in James 2, verses 1 to 4, um, James has this to say, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears that fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thought? And so this is an example here. It doesn't really talk about love, but we get to understand at Christian, this talks about love. If we treat brothers with partiality, uh, we we are unloving to them. There's a connection we should make in our minds. James is teaching us about unloving stuff. But by the way, here it says that you shouldn't uh, make disti- distinction in, in favor of the rich uh, and against the poor. But some progressive churches they do the opposite. They switch it around. They say to be rich, it's it's evil, but to be poor, ah, oh, that's 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 what Christ wants for us. And if so, if the rich comes in the assembly they tell him, sit on the floor. And if the poor comes in, ah, oh, take this beautiful place. They've, they did the same thing here. The law of Moses makes it clear. God shows no partiality. And in judging, we cannot show it, partiality in favor of the poor or of the rich. And so to really understand this, well, we, we get to understand, what, well, God shows no partiality. In the church, we cannot do it either. No matter which way you go, if you try to... Do the opposite. It doesn't work. That's unloving. Uh, Turn turn a few pages. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. James 4, 11 and 12. So do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so that's an example of love. If you speak in people's backs, if you lie about them, if you, uh, if you insult them, right? If you're just mean and you speak evil against these brothers. It might even be true. Uh, there's that cliche, right, where the... The men meet together and they say, oh, we're not talking against a brother. It's just theological conversation. And then they go on to insult and just be really mean to a brother. And the ladies do the same thing. They have these prayer meetings and they say, oh, we really have to pray for this lady over there. Have you heard, right, about what's happening in her couple, right? I mean, we do it and we try to justify it. But that's speaking evil against your brother, right? We, we try to justify it and, and make it appear as if we don't do it. No, no, it's to speak evil. And so is that loving to speak evil uh, you know, against a brother? No, it's not. And so, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to give you one last example. You can find these things all over the Bible. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, we are taught, according to God, to love God. Uh, You know, the neighbor, but also love the members of the church in a specific way. This is love, the rest is not love. These ones are easy for us to accept. Why? Because if I tell you it's not loving to punch someone in the face, well, you tell yourself, yeah, I don't like to be punched in the face, so sure, it's unloving, right? And so do you like to, uh, when someone speaks evil against you? No, you don't. So it's easy to accept that, yeah, sure, it's evil, it's unloving. But there are other places where it's very difficult to, to, to accept. Uh, If you want to turn to Galatians, chapter 6. So Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so here you have a situation where someone sins, he's caught in it, and the loving thing to do is to tell him about it. Now that's not something that we usually love. Someone who comes to you and says, you've sinned, the Bible makes it clear, you sin, you need to repent. We don't like that. And many mainstream churches will say, no, you, sh- you-, you can't judge people like this. You can't talk about people's sins. Just accept people. And we don't talk about it and we just keep going and we love each other. But the Bible makes it clear. The loving thing to do is to restore each other in gentleness. And if that couldn't be clear enough, verse 2 says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's love. It's to love God. It's also to love your neighbor. But the, the verse makes it clear that it's loving for you to go to a brother and say, you've sinned and try to restore him in gentleness. This is hard for us to accept. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel loving. But God says it is loving. But it goes further. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Paul is talking about a situation in the church where they didn't do that. They let someone sin. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For if a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant, sorry, for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? What, someone lives in unrepentant sin, we have to remove him from the church? And Paul describes, describes this as, you know, uh, how does he say that? Deliver this man to Satan. That sounds harsh, it doesn't sound loving. But it is loving. You do these things so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Caring for your brother who refuses to repent. When the church comes together, and, they're, and you know, they're, in Matthew, you have the, the whole thing. You go to the brother alone. If he refuses to repent, you take a few witnesses. If you refuse, you go to the church, and then he refuses again. You care for the brother. He's lost. He sins. He doesn't repent. That shows that he's of the darkness, and so he has no place in the church. Paul tells us you remove him from the church. Excommunication. That's a loving thing to do because you protect that brother teaching him that sin is unacceptable and that he has to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of these sins. But you also protect the rest of the congregation. This man may, might be a wolf. You don't know. By his works, he shows that he's not from God, and so you want to protect the congregation. You don't want the congregation to look at this man sitting and, and you know tell themselves, oh, well, if he does this, I mean, even pagans don't accept this, and we do, well, I can do a little something, because sin is not tolerated in the church. And so, yeah, you do have, you know, the Bible teaches you about love. Sometimes it's easy to accept. In other cases, it's incredibly difficult to accept. And when you accept it, it's incredibly difficult to then go through it and to love not only in truth, but in deed. But that's what we're called to do. And so those are just a few examples. I could go on forever. They're everywhere in the Bible. Um, but hopefully you get to see um, that, uh, that, that you get, you know, with, with a good understanding of the Bible, you also get a good understanding of what love is, of who God is, who Christ is, and who the church should be. And so, um, this is basically the end of my message. If I repeat the, 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 the thing again, I paraphrase it. It's simple. Whoever says he's a Christian might not be a Christian. His works will prove whether he's actually a Christian or not a Christian. Um, uh, and, and John tells us these things because there's danger in the church. False teachers are there, and they want to deceive us, right? They might be deceived themselves. They don't know. They don't want to deceive for real, but, but the Bible says they're deceived and deceiving. And so we need to protect ourselves and the church from these false teachers and um, and then work in our understanding to be able to recognize them and protect each other. Now, go to Second John, and I'll just finish uh, there. Just the second epistle of John. It's very short, but I just want to show you that everything I've talked about today, it's, it's made even clearer in Second John because it's shorter. In the first epistle of John, he writes to churches in general, you know, a lot of people. But in the second one, he writes to a friend that he calls the elect lady. And you're going to see everything I said, everything we've seen in the previous week, weeks, it's all there very clearly. And so maybe I'm just going to read this and then I'm, I'm going to pray and go uh, to, um, uh, to, to make you think and to make you, you know... Uh, Ask God for, for the remainder of the week to, to guide you in these things and, and, and try to find a better understanding of this. And so Second John, the elder, that's John, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, sorry, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. For though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect, sister, greet you. The same language, same theme, same patterns, to say the same thing. Right? Right? This old and new commandment, it's love. We need to practice it. Everyone who doesn't practice it is not from God. You don't receive them. You don't have them in your church. Watch yourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, beautiful book that you're giving us to study right now. I pray that um, we may learn a lot through it and learn to be a loving church. Uh, Give us more understanding of you and of your law that we may understand what love truly is and give us the strength to abandon our own ideas of what love is and uh, instead follow your ideas. Protect this church. May we be able to, to practice these things that we have learned and to do it full of joy um, and, and all of this to your glory. Amen.